start this year, this new year, off with a series on relationships. It's actually one of the topics that we probably get the most feedback about. Why? Well, the truth is, all of us have a hard time getting along with other people. And with the Christmas family get-togethers and holiday work parties uh, that we all just survived, I think we probably all need a little encouragement this month. Am I right? Okay, so one of the earliest things that we learn is, is how to get along with people. Uh, I don't know, do you remember that assessment, that category of on your report card when you were in kindergarten that asked the question, do you play well with others? Do you remember what your score was? Playing well with others isn't always easy. In fact, it can be downright difficult. People can be difficult. We can be difficult. But here's the crazy part. One of the most challenging aspects of life, getting along with others, can also be the most rewarding. But for that to happen, we've got to work at it. So how can we get better at playing well with others? We all have these stories in our heads about how life should be that get us in all kinds of trouble in our relationships. We hold grudges rather than forgive. We criticize, even demonize people who think or behave differently than we do. We assume that independence is the ultimate prize. Jesus paints a different picture about how to interact with others. Jesus invites us to love others the same way that he has loved us, sacrificially, with a servant-like heart, with radical forgiveness, and in spite of our differences. And that's what this January teaching series is going to be about. We're going to look at practical ways we can improve our relationship skills and our ability to love others well. And we hope it'll help you in your relationships with the people in your life and also in your relationship with God. Now, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. And one of the values that our parents wanted for us at that time was for us to be independent. And that was typically accompanied by like individualism. Be your own person. Stand on your own two feet. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Be strong, hardworking, responsible, trustworthy. Self-reliance was a goal. Don't depend on others for help and happiness. And I'm sure many of you in your 50s and 60s and older can relate to that. We were raised to be independent individuals ready to fend for ourselves in the world. And I had plenty of models to show me what that looked like. So I want to show you a few. And I want to see how many of you can identify, can name who they are. Shout out if you know who they are. And I'm especially talking to you, boomers. 
All right, so here's the first one. The Duke. The Duke. Well, howdy, Pilgrim. All right, next one. On the left. On the right. Paul Newman, Robert Redford, Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance Kid. All right, the next one, this is one of my favorites. Everybody loves somebody sometime. Remember that guy? He actually didn't drink very often. He, uh, and he actually didn't drink at all for most of his life. He just kind of carried it around and it was just water. It's true. All right, next one. Burt Reynolds, Deliverance, Smokey and the Bandit. One of the best mustaches in the history of the world, but not on this picture. All right, and my all-time model, yes, Clint Eastwood. You got to ask yourself one question. Do you feel lucky? Well, do you, punk? All right, one more, one more. You probably don't know who this is. His name is Robert Norris, or the original Marlboro Man. He just died this past fall at the age of 90. Never smoked a cigarette a day in his life. I'm serious. I'm serious. Google it. There were a lot of heroes that I had growing up that showed me what it looked like to be grown up. And I'd also include my grandfathers, my dad, a bunch of other guys, men that showed me and, and that I watched as I grew up, independent, rugged individuals. Those values were always in front of me as I grew up, and, and they probably were for many of you too. As a matter of fact, I bet that very few native-born U.S. citizens would deny that the values of rugged individualism and independence have been woven into the fabric of our American society, and they still exist today. So what is independence? Well, it means that you aren't influenced or controlled by others in, what, in terms of what you believe or do and think. You act for yourself. You aren't subject to another person's authority. You don't rely on somebody else for help or support. And there's the problem. We're kind of attracted to all of that stuff, right? But we also know deep down inside that it may not be the best way to live. Now, dependence is often seen as a negative or even a weakness. We associate it with small children, with the elderly, and those with special needs. Dependent people can be needy and may have emotional, physical, social, or financial struggles or addictions that they can't get past, and any of those can make it hard to build and maintain healthy relationships. So it's not a big leap to assume that the opposite of unhealthy dependence is strong independence. And a lot of times I'd agree with that, especially considering how I grew up. But as a follower of Jesus, there's a lot of reasons why I reject that assumption. Interdependence is being mutually dependent or being dependent on each other. 
two people in a healthy relationship are interdependent. In contrast to existing alone, interdependence is choosing to believe that no one is an island and that we're better together. We is better than me. We can look to God for the perfect example of this. God is one essence who exists eternally in three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. From the earliest pages of the Bible, God refers to himself in the first person plural. Let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. The Trinity is the eternal example of perfect interdependence. The Trinity demonstrates perfect mutual dependence. Instead of self-reliance, the Trinity points to inter-reliance. And God didn't make creation to exist independently or separately from himself. And he doesn't want to exist independently from his creation. In fact, the basic problem of human history is that people have tried to live independently from God. The central story of the Bible is God's quest to be in a mutual relationship with all people and his desire for all people to live interdependently with each other. We is better than me. So what does this look like? Well, it's got to start right here. You first need to shift your way of thinking. What do you really believe about yourself and other people? Do you need them or don't you? Are you at your best when you are on your own or when you are in healthy, interdependent relationships with other people? Since my natural default is always going to be independence, I know I've got to keep working at this. I believe to grow and be the best that God wants me to be, I need other people. And I need to act like I believe that that's true. I need to trust God that this is the best way to live. In other words, to grow as a follower of Jesus, to stay spiritually healthy, community is critical. In the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes says, two are better than one. We've always known that two is more than one, but Ecclesiastes says that the two are better than one. A team is not just quantitatively superior, it's qualitatively superior. It's not just more, it's better. We is better than me. To be completely independent is lonely. Ecclesiastes says it's, it's meaningless, miserable business. It's not the best way to live. To find strength in independence is a myth. Actually, it's a lie. Strength is found when you join your life with others. We is better than me. And you see this everywhere. I mean, 
Go to the bowling alley. Go to uh, hurling hatchets on league night. What do you see? Community. You'll see it tomorrow morning at, at fitness or a, a yoga class. You'll see it at a coffee shop or a microbrewery or a restaurant over a, a pie or a pint or a pumpkin latte. You'll see it at school, in the cafeteria. You'll see it in the stands or the sideline of any athletic event. When you watch the wild card games this afternoon, the NFL games, or when you watch next Monday, when you watch the final football game of the college season, even the most introverted people look for safe ways to build community. Why? Because we all crave it. I believe all of us yearn to be connected with others, to be in healthy community with other people. Think about your favorite shows. What makes them so appealing? My guess is that they show a group of interdependent people that are intimately connected. It's community. Watching these made-up versions, we vicariously experience it. We laugh with them. We cry with them. We binge it all the way to the final episode. We can't wait to see it. But another part of us hates watching it because it's the end. This community that we've been a part of, is, it's over. Now what are we going to do? But that's make-believe. So let's shut off our devices and come back to real life. There's another side to building community and interdependent relationships. You know, I, I really do love people. I promise. Even all of you. Yes, I, I'm going to say yes today. I do. But there's still this temptation to not invest in relationships or build community instead to to be independent and and to just do life by myself. I don't know. Can any of you relate to that at all? I think the reason why is that in the real world, relationships are hard. They're not easy to maintain. They take more than one season of six 45-minute episodes They take a lot of time and attention. They're hard work. And secondly, they're disappointing. One thing that's absolutely true about people is that they're always going to let you down. They won't meet your expectations. When I talk about our marriage, I often say that my wife's husband is a constant source of disappointment to me. People will disappoint you. And third, relationships are messy and unpredictable. They're like Iowa weather in January. Just wait. It's going to change. Community is made up of relationships, and relationships are fickle. Now, it's been a few years, but I used to lead our junior high ministry program here. And I remember how fragile and sensitive relationships were in junior high and middle school. And I fully expected when I transitioned into working really full-time with adults that I would put all that stuff behind me. Yeah, not so much. (laughs) 
So I got to ask myself, is this all worth it? Is the hard work of building and maintaining interdependent relationships and community worth it? And some days, to be honest, I say, nope. And I crawl into a hole and I stay there for a while. But more days I say, yes, it's worth it. It's worth the hard, messy, disappointing work. But what makes it worth it? So let's look for a minute at a picture, a story from the very first church, the early church, right out of the the book of Acts in the New Testament. This is in Acts chapter 2. This gives us a picture of what that group looked like. This is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs perform, at many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily, those who were being saved. Who acts like this? Who lives this way? Eating together, sharing stuff, doing life together? Well, families do. Friends do. That's community. It's God's design. We is better than me. And it's how Jesus lived. Jesus didn't do life alone. He moved through life with a group of friends. He did it for the sake of his friends so he could show them how to live. But he also did it for himself. He shared life with his friends. He needed their help. He needed their companionship. He needed their love. And he needed to love them. He laughed with them, he worked hard with them, he prayed with them, he ate with them, he cried, and he suffered with them. They did community together because it is the best way to live. And when it was time for his followers to do it themselves, did he send them out alone? No. He told them to do it together. He sent them out two by two. Jesus instituted the buddy system. And it's one of the last things that Jesus prayed for before he died. That his followers would be one. An interdependent community. So that they could be a bright light in the world. We is better than me. Community has always been important at Orchard, and for us to remain strong and faithful, and for us to grow and stay healthy, we need community. So here's three quick reasons why. Number one, community helps us to see ourselves more honestly. Have you ever noticed 
how so many of us have mastered the subtle art of rationalizing our behavior. We don't even realize we're doing it. It's like this. When you act a certain way, you're prejudiced. But when I act the same way, I'm discerning. When you talk a certain way, you're being mean. But when I talk the same way, I'm just telling it like it is. You're slow. I'm deliberate. You're pig-headed. I have the courage of my convictions. You're stuck up and snotty. I have a healthy self-esteem. We rationalize our behavior. We protect ourselves from criticism and correction. And in the meantime, we miss opportunities to grow. Community helps us to see and examine our lives honestly. We all have blind spots. And to discover and correct them, we need trusted friends who love us and who stand with us. Number two... Community also helps us develop a more well-rounded faith. You know, even the most mature faith is only partial. The wisest, most fully devoted followers of Christ that I have known have all valued and participated in community. They respected and welcomed the insight faithful friends provided. And that takes humility and vulnerability, but that's the path to maturity. We walk this path together, not alone. I believe adults learn best in community when there's honest discussion, feedback, conversation, questions. And we're committed to offering those kinds of learning communities here to help you grow with others. Men's Breakfast, The Journey, Get to Know Groups, Habitat Builds, Financial Peace University, Bible Studies, Route 55, Life Groups, Service Groups, Mission Teams, Student Family Groups, and on and on. When we share life with each other, we grow together. And our church is healthier. We is better than me. And number three, community helps us keep going in our faith. It's easy to make a strong start in the Christian race, but to stay at